I know many of you here this morning are saved, but I'm not saved, working with God. But this heart, this word's been put in my heart. And I believe as individuals, men and women of God, we have to get back to that place where we are building altars for the Lord each and every day of our life. I'm not here to patronize anybody, but I believe the Lord has given me a word. I'm going to share that word this morning. I want to encourage us today to listen to the Lord will be saying to us. And maybe ask yourself some hard questions. Is, has something else maybe been into our life? Is there something else robbing us from that the place that we that God wants us to be? That place where those who are pure, all things are pure. I always interpret that when you're in a good place with God, no matter what it comes your way, you always see the good in it. And you never get stirred up into anger or bitterness because you can spend that much time with the Lord, you're pure of spirit, you're pure of mind, you're pure of soul. And that only comes, not through intellect, but through spending time in the presence of God. Building altars onto the Lord. So we're going to look at Abraham again this morning. I do refer to him sometimes as Abraham. Please do excuse that. But obviously it's the same man, he just hasn't got a new name now. But Sarah, sometimes refer to her as Sarah. But you understand that, don't you? So Abraham and Sarah will be looking at this morning. So please turn to Genesis chapter 12. Straight verses 4 to 9 this morning. Chapter 12, Genesis, verses 4 to 9. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the processions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shaq, the oak of Moreh. And this is the last verse. Now the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and he said, To your offspring I will give you this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country. And we'll end our reading there. So Father, we thank you for each and every person that's here this morning. And Father, we know that each and every one of us is on a journey in life. Whether that journey has crossed paths with you yet, Father, you only know, but Lord, it's for sure that every one of us, Lord, when we were born, are on a journey. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would speak, Lord, into each of our lives this morning. You would encourage us where we need encourage us. Encourage and Father, you would strengthen us where we need strength. And Father, we just commit all things to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So as I said, I'm going to be speaking to you this morning on building altars in our life. You know, prayer for many isn't easy. Let's just say that straight away. A lot of people struggle with prayer. Would anybody agree with that? I'd be on my own. It's not something we do naturally. It's not something our body craves. But it is something that our spirit craves. It is something that, that, that as a man or woman of God, we desire to do. But, but there's just that wrestle. So we're not going to speak about prayer this morning. It's as if everybody has attained the place, the perfect place of prayer. But we are going to hit it this morning to be reminded that's where we need to be. Um, maybe some of us are so sick in our Christian walk, and the reason is that we haven't built any altars in our lives to the Lord. So building altars is coming before God, seeking God in prayer every day in our life, seeking wisdom, seeking strength, and seeking guidance from, from Him. And we look at Abraham, one thing we know very quickly is that Abraham's call to faith is, is the same call that many of you have received here 
this morning. If you're a Christian this morning, you have repented of your sin and you've come to Christ in faith, you have begun a journey with God. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you too can begin that journey with God. You understand the simplicity of the gospel. Simply come, give your life to God, and he'll do the rest for you. But we're all on a journey this morning. And the journey that you have begun this morning, it has an end. And there's nothing worse than maybe traveling on a journey and thinking it has no end. It's got an end, church. Everything has got an end. And the Christian faith has, the journey we have of Christ has got, a, has got an end. It's going somewhere. It ends with Christ. It ends with eternity. It ends in glory. There is a pinnacle of our walk with God. What we're facing today, this is not it. The journey that we're on, it's leading somewhere. We need to remind ourselves of these truths. There's greater days ahead, and there is a great day coming. The Bible speaks about it. It speaks about there's a new heaven and there's a new earth. And we're told there that, that God will dwell there with his people. He'll be there, he'll be physically seen. We know that he'll give his children new bodies. Bodies that are strong and built his hand at the test of time. We know that unity will flow there. That people will be in harmony with each other. Pretty hard to believe when you look at our world today, but that's what the Bible says. It says the lamb will, will lie with the lamb. There will be great purpose there, there'll be rest and there'll be joy in the presence of God. Because God will, will be there in the midst of his people, we will enter a realm of living that we have never even dreamed about. That's what the Bible teaches. Think of Psalm 16. Listen to the words, you will make known to me the path of life. This path that the psalmist is speaking about, it's the path that leads to life, it leads to glory. And then listen to his next statement. For in your presence is the fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. He's speaking of glory, pleasures forevermore. Whatever God has in store for his people, church, know this, boredom isn't one of them. Boredom isn't part of God's plan for your life. Thank God, there's enough boredom in it. So Christian, if you're on a journey this morning, your journey of faith, it's leading to the glory. It's a promised land for those who know God and who trust God. It's a promised land. If you get that into your heart this morning, your mind, that the walk of faith that you're doing now has a, is coming to an end. There's a time of end. And it's the, there's a land of promise that comes. So as we consider Abraham and his journey to the promised land this morning, we will see firsthand what this journey of faith looks like in the life of an ordinary man which is helpful for us because we're ordinary people. This is an ordinary man who dared to trust God. And that's a challenge today. God is still searching the land to see if there's one or two of his children that would just dare to trust him and, and to rise up and do, to do a counterculture of the world in which we live in and to follow him. Is there one here this morning that would dare to trust God? If there's one that would dare to do it, what God could do in and through your life, who could tell? Who could tell? But we will see that in Abraham, at times we see him standing really strong in the faith. We will also see Abraham struggle with faithlessness. He will struggle with doubt. He will question things as we do in his mind. We will watch at times as he decides to follow his own heart. And we will witness the mishaps that follow as a result of this. As we look at Abraham, you will see your own struggles in life. Play it out before your very eyes. That is the beauty, church, of Scripture. It's not, the, it's not set there to make us feel incompetent. It's set there to encourage us, to remind us that ordinary men and women of God who made great mistakes 
did great things for God. Why? Because they dared to trust him. Dared to trust him, and that's the challenge. But as we look to, to, to Abraham, you will see indeed your own struggles. But in it all, and this is the, this is the key, in it all, don't miss one very important theme that we see in this book. And it's this, that God always brought Abraham through. He always brought him through to the next place. Abraham's mishaps, the things that he did out of the will of God, listen, it hurt him and it hurt others. And you know that in your own life. But God always turned up at just the right time and encouraged him on his journey of faith. Isn't that something? Abraham was a man, he was human like you and I. He had strength and he had weaknesses. He had the same tendencies as you and I did. He felt the pull of sin and, and the many different pulls that come in life as we do. He at times wondered where God was. He at times questioned why things were not different for him in his life. He would at times try to help God out. Did you ever do that? God, you're just not capable of this. I'm going to just give you a hand to, to do this. And what we see here is you and I in the book of Abraham, in the book of Genesis. But nevertheless, God was always faithful. And he always brought him through. And likewise, church, I want to tell you this this morning, right there, that God will always bring each of you through to. He will. It's in his nature. No matter where you're at this morning, no matter what situation, maybe in your own life, you're thinking, well, why are things not there? I just want to tell you straight away, we serve a God who is a faithful God. He knows the end from the beginning. He doesn't need our help. He just needs our faithfulness. He doesn't need our wisdom. He just needs our faithfulness to he just needs us to be a people who, who rely on him. And that's the whole theme of this morning. Are we reliant on him? Because listen, the days that we choose to leave our home without buying the name for the day we go into anything, business or anything in life without speaking to God, it's the day we say, Lord, I know you're there, but I'm not going to need you. Do you understand? And these are the three things this morning we just want to tap into that God will maybe encourage us to get back to that place in life. We want to see revival in our own lives in church. It doesn't come through programs. It doesn't, it comes through that sacrifice of, of just having to bow the knee and seek God in that, in that place of prayer. Listen, God will bring each of you through, trust Him in that. So we're learning to build altars this morning, altars on to the Lord. You know that Abraham first left the of the Chaldeans and, and he made his way to Haran. And for some reason, we've already covered this, that on his way, on his journey, he pitched his tent here. And for five years, he remained in this place. And this wasn't the place where God wanted him, but the place that God had set him. I believe we all go through these times. Times where we remain still in our walk with God. Times when we just get caught up with life. We understand that. I believe also that God allows his children times like this. Times of barrenness. Times of little or no seen fruit in our lives. God allows these times in our life. Whatever took place in Haran during these five years, there's one thing that I am sure of. That God used this time of stagnation and Abraham's life to prepare him for the task ahead. And if you're in a time of stagnation, if you're in a time of, of barrenness in your life, I just want to maybe encourage you this morning and remind you that God is preparing you for the next stage in your walk. He is, he's causing roots to grow in your life. He's allowing you to experience things that will sharpen you for the days ahead. And just trust him now. There were some things that, that had to go in Abraham's life. We're not speaking on this morning, but anybody who studied this knows this. There were things that, that had to go in Abraham's life. And there were some things in his life that had to grow. 
Some have to go, some have to grow, for him, in order for him to proceed forward any further with God. And you know, maybe this morning for you, before you can proceed any further in your walk with God, there's, there's maybe some things in your life that just need to go. And you know they are, without me trying to point them out. But do you know if there's maybe some things in your life that are hindering you from going any further forward than God? For others here this morning, you're eager to go forward and you think you're not going. And maybe this is a time of nurturing for you. Maybe this is a time where God has just, has just got you. He's just, he's just nurturing you into, into health. Before you can proceed any further, you have to grow roots. And I want to encourage you in that also. I know there's some people here are new to the faith. And I've spoken to some of them recently. And I'm just so encouraging to see them ask about why I cannot do this shit or, or I wanted to be doing this. And that's hunger. And that's, that's growing roots. And it'll be frustrating, but, but once them roots get down, maybe you'll think yourself grow in the things of God. But listen, for each of us, when the time is right, God will call us. When the time is right, if He's calling you, listen to Him. And if the time isn't right, you, you, you'd be there where He wants you to be. And, and so it was, excuse me, at the right time, God called Abraham again to come. Time was the move to come. And we read in first, verse 4, read with me. And so Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and he departed from, from Haran, and he made his way to the land of Canaan. Now I want you to notice here, at this point in Abraham's life, he was just where God wanted him to be. Anybody want to be in the will of God? Of course we all do, don't we? We want to be in the place of promise. But here, here Abraham was, he was in the place of promise. He was in the will of God, and he was, he was progressing towards the land of Canaan. Promise, the place of promise. And that's where we all desire to be in. And to be in the will of God, that just to be standing at that place of promise, just in the edge of victory. And that's where we always strive to be uh, as Christians. <coughs> we know when we get there, things will be so much easier, right? When we get to the place of promise, church, everything there will be easy. Yes? No? Yes? It's not a trick, it is a trick question. Actually, it is. I was speaking to one sister this morning. We sort of think when we get to the place of promise, we think uh, non-alcoholic cocktails, of course, on, on sunbeds and sun cream. And, and, don't we? We get to this, this idea that, God, if I could just get to the place that you want me to be, how easy it would be. And that's just not true. At least the scripture doesn't back up our thinking as much as we like to think that way. Things would be so much easier. So verse 6 we see, as Abram came to the age of Canaan, he passed through the land to a place of Shep, called Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. Strange sentence, that, isn't it? And I want you to picture Abraham standing here. What I see is this man of God just stood still at this great oak tree in Moriah. And we read the words that follows. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. So here Abraham was right where God wants him to be. And as if God just shows him the task at hand. And you know, church, when we stand and we look around our land today, we look at the task at hand. I don't know how you feel, but I want to go back to bed. I just say, Lord, where do we even start? The people who do listen to the gospel say lovely and walk on and just go back. Those who, who don't listen to the gospel aren't interested in the things of God. The half of us, myself and Christians, we just feel like we sleep most days. Lord, the task at hand is big. 
That's not so overwhelming. You know, many a man have come over the years have really lost their mind trying to win people from God on serious damage to their health. And here, Abraham was stood right where God wants him to be and he shows him the task at hand and he says to him, and this is where I believe he takes Abraham's faith and he begins to stress it. I'm told when you stress your muscles, I wouldn't know a big pile about it, but when you stress your muscles, and that, you, you actually kill your muscle and it regrows and it becomes stronger. And here, that's what happens with our faith. When God stresses our, our faith, it breaks, but it also comes back stronger. And here is Abraham about to get stressed, pressed in again by God. One man said something interesting. He says this, Obedience often brings us into very difficult places. And this is sort of counterproductive, isn't it? You're trying to encourage the people of God to get to that place of promise that to be in obedience to God. And all we can see is hardship. All we can see is this isn't simple at all. And what I will say is this, church, that, that God leads each of us bit by bit and day by day for a reason. For if we were to see the trial before the promise, we would never receive the promise. If I seen the trial before the promise, I wouldn't go for the promise. I'd turn around with all the way, and so would you. And here, Abraham has stood in the place of promise. And what has stood before him is known as this oak of, of Moriah. And this was in fact a monument, a monument to Canaanite worship. There's a picture here that, that God wants us to see. We're not going to rush past this verse this morning. We're not going to get past it, actually. And this, this oak tree was, was a monument of Canaanite worship. And there's no doubt in my mind that Abraham at this point must have thought to himself, this cannot be the place where God wants me to be. Don't put your hands up, but I'm just curious, and many of you here this morning are in a place in your life and you're thinking, God, this is not the place where I want to be. Surely I have got it wrong. And this is what we see with Abraham. He stood still and he's looking around and he's going, there's something missing, like revival, like like." Like other men and women who are saved at least. Are we church in the corner? Are we Pentecostal the church would be nice. But there's nothing. There's just a tree with the Canaanite worship. And the hill where this oak stood is known as the hill of the teacher. So what this really tells us is that this tree was a modern day pulpit of pagan religion. Then remember the, the words in verse 6. Now the Canaanites went along. And that brings us into the context. We've been set up to see a picture here of this tree and then who's in the land. And all we see all of a sudden that the task at hand is not at all easy. I studied a wee bit in the Canaanites just to give you some understanding on myself this morning. Then. We see that the Canaanites are mentioned over 150 times in the Bible. Where do they come from? Well, they descended from Noah's grandson, Canaan, and it would have been half son. What are we told about this people? A lot. But in one sentence, they were wicked and idolatrous, idolatrous people. That's how they're summed up, wicked people. In Deuteronomy 18 and 9, we see that Moses is speaking to the people about how they live and they enter the land. There's a lesson here for every one of us. What, what this really is is a call to holiness and godliness. <coughs> and he says this, when you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of these nations. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you. So that's Deuteronomy 18 in your second notes. 
This is a warning to the people of God that we are not to learn the habits, the, the abominations of, of Canaanite worship and all their false gods. And we know that, that God would, would drive out eventually the Canaanites from the land, even destroy them as, as a people. Well, they should have destroyed all of them, but they'd see in reality that they didn't just do what they were told. And there's been these claims made that, that God actually carried out genocide. I often thought of myself that God just completely wiped out a nation of people, men, women, and children. And, uh, but he didn't. It wasn't just as straightforward as that. And what we do know is that the destruction of the Canaanites, as one commentator said, is not an attack on an innocent people or a nation. It's God's judgment against abominable sin. And that's what we fall short. We forget sin. We forget the power of sin. We forget the judgment of sin. We forget that God can't even look at sin. He despises sin. We see Christ on the cross and when all the sin, all our sin was put upon him, God actually turned his back upon him. It's something that we fail to understand the power of sin in our life. We can see it in our world. But this is what happened. God wiped out this nation because of the abomination of sin in our life. And we too find ourselves up against the most gross of sin and idolatry in our land. Abominable sin, or as the NIV translates it, detestable ways, we even understand better. Men's detestable ways has been learned by nearly every nation today. The word sin has been replaced with many things, but one, a couple that I've noticed recently is love wins. Try to argue that one. Love wins. Look, accept everything for everybody. And that way, love wins, as long as you don't challenge them. So that's one thing you can see today. The next one's equality. What gives you the right to say that about her or likewise? And it becomes this bigger figure, and it's not. It's, it's deception. Be careful of it. So there's two titles if you watch that come across your, your, your life in this present age, love wins and equality. But let's consider just for a moment what Canaanite worship looked like. And what it was that Abraham really faced. Because then we get to see what we're facing today. Is there anything like Abraham? Is there anything we can learn to live in a world that doesn't exactly lift up God or honor God? So I, I read one, I'm not going to give you a pile of information, but just one snippet to give us a bit of an understanding. And I read this from uh, the message of Deuteronomy, page 146, just to, to say it right, by Brian. And he, he wrote this, he says, Canaanite worship was socially destructive. Please listen to the words. This is something. It was religious. Its religious acts were pornographic and sick, and they were seriously damaging to children. Created early impressions of gods with no interest in moral behaviour. It tried to dignify by the use of religious labels. Be careful of that. By the use of religious labels, depraved acts of bestiality, bestiality, and corruption. It had a low esteem of human life. It suggested that anything was permissible, casual sexual relations, murder, or anything else, in order to guarantee a good crop for harvest. It ignored the highest values both in the family and the wider community, things like love, loyalty, purity, peace and security, and encouraged the view that all things were inferior to material prosperity, physical satisfaction, and human pleasure. It was on to say, that a society where those things matter most is self Isn't that something? Isn't it? Healing worship. And as Abraham stood at this oak tree 
I believe that you, like me, question things. Did I hear God right? Should I maybe stay at home, or at least at home? Should I maybe stay where I missed my tent? This cannot be what God wants me to be. And then in verse 7, you see something. It's just there. The Lord appeared. The Lord appeared. It's just there. We read over it. We don't think much of it. But what I see here is something different. I see a man who, who is trying to come to terms with what is before him in life. I see a man who has got so much doubt in his mind, his heart is covered with confusion, he doesn't know what way to go, he stood still. But at just the right time, God turns up. And that reminds me, the same God who Abraham follows is the same God that you and I follow, it's the same God who at just the right time, church, and just the right perfect time turns up in our life. And as he stood in a pagan land, pagan land so surrounded by all sorts of evils, God says to Abraham, to your offspring, I will give this land. There's no hesitation, there's no doubt, I will, I will, I will give you this land. And I suggest to you that at this point in Abraham's life, he felt a wee bit overwhelmed at the task of Abraham. And the lesson that I can see here comes right after God appears to Abram in verse 7. Do you see it? <clears throat> so he built there an altar to the Lord. It doesn't say he started an evangelistic group, a mission society. It doesn't say there that he started anything else. But he dropped to his knees and built an altar on the Lord. And that's where he found his eye and his focus. And you know, Christian, this morning, God has placed you in a world where sin is accepted as normal. There aren't many oak trees used for idol worship in our land today, but there's many, many idols that seek to steal your heart. Canaanite worship was a vile and demonic religion, and the same spirit that led this worship then has revived it again in our time. False religions from far, false lands are, are being placed beside that or above Christianity. As a result, our schools are teaching it and our children are learning it. That's the power of the demonic. That's the power of the Canaanite worship, which really is this. It's a worship that suits my lifestyle and yours. It says, listen, we dictate. This is what I think I am and this is what I want to do. And therefore, should God created me to be. So therefore, I'm going to create a religious label and call it God's desire. I'm going to call it love. I'm going to call it equality. Whatever you want to call it, but justify your life. And that's what Canaanite worship is. It's a justification of our sinful nature played out before man and appeasing. Pornographic material is everywhere. It's not just seriously damaging to children, but adults alike. Religious labels are attached to cover up the depraved acts of humans and the corruption in our land today as well. Human life does not seem to have a value, but yet dog's life seems to be somewhat valued. Have you noticed that? A dog can be the doctor at the point of the next morning, he might have to wait a week. He needs a new leg, he gets it. He may wait five years, you're too young maybe. This is just truth. Animals are... You want to see Julian kiss our dog today? I'm trying to get jealous. But there is some of animals are lovely, but they're not higher than humans. They're pets. But human life in our land is not by. Today, nearly 
anything is permissible. You'd be hard first to bet upon something that somebody would say is for us. Casual sex is deemed as normal, even promoted. Murder has become so common, I just realized this, that we don't even really get the night of it anymore. Values both in the family and in the wider community, such as love and loyalty, purity, peace, security, all been pulled down by Keanu Bush. Today, material prosperity, physical satisfaction, and human pleasure is a target set for society for our children to attain. That's sad. Isn't it sad? Church, I want to say this. It's my own belief. The Canaanite worship is all around us. It's fully revived. Fully revived. There's few who know this. Deuteronomy 18 and 10. We're told this. Canaanites were made, or Canaanites made their own children pass through the fire. Do you understand what that means? As a type of worship, they killed their babies, they put them on the altar, and they burnt them to death, hoping to obtain a type of favor, a work, a word from God, or maybe there was a war in the land that gained victory and slaughter the children. They wonder how a nation could ever sink so low as to kill their own children. It's not right to wonder that. But yet, in Ireland in 2019, it's estimated there's been 8 and 900 abortions per month. Nearly 11,000 per year have been carried out. Now, listen, I want to just say something. If that's something you've experienced your life, there's forgiveness at the cross and there's, there's, there's reconciliation with Christ. There's a deception in our land and there's no judgment. We're just enlightenment this morning. And some people have been told there's nothing more but a wee egg, a wee bit of gel, a, a cell, or listen, this is going to hinder your life. Or, all I want to say is this morning, there's nothing that the blood of Christ can free you from this morning. So there's no condemnation. I'm highlighting some truths. That's all I'm doing this morning, highlighting some truths. What Abraham faced then, we face today. He was a stranger in a land that knew God. And Abraham kept his eye on God, and we would do well to follow. One commentator put it like this, and I love this. He set up and he kept up the worship of God and his family. Listen, he sat up and he kept up the worship of God and his family. There's key, church. There's key to revival in his life. He preached concerning the name of the Lord. He taught his family and he taught his neighbors the true knowledge of God. He no longer felt the foam in this world. And wherever he pitched his tent, listen, he built an altar to the Lord. Isn't that something? Wherever he pitched his tent, he didn't forget his God and worship the Lord. My church, I want to say this to you this morning. Whatever is facing you in this season of your life, instead of trying to work it all out and you stood still, I'm going to encourage you this morning to build an altar to God. Learn from Abram. Set up and keep up the worship of God in your life. And family altars. We have a young family ourselves, and, and even this morning in, in, in the hustle and the bustle and, and everything, to get, get everything together, to get out through the door, and we actually stopped ourselves. We went back into the living room and we stood and we built that family altar, but we were that close of coming to lead this wonderful church this morning without even taking time ourselves to build the family altar. Not because we're backslidden, but because we're busy. And I want to put it to you this morning, church, individually, what sort of church would we be? What sort of people would we be? What sort of fathers and mothers would we be? Grandmothers, aunties and uncles would we be if we were people who built altars of the Lord every day of our life? Because we love it. 
not because our humanity religious minds have been puzzled off. Puzzled off it. Then altars, family altars, lift up Christ in salvation. Teach your family about the true faith. Teach your neighbours, not about Canaanite worship, but the true God. Abraham stood at this great opening. He was stood dead in his tracks. This very fell to his knees and he sought the Lord. And we, we read in verse 8 that from there he moved, moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and he pitched his tent. Right, listen, we're coming to the close here. Maybe there's one here this morning, and you've come so far and you're stood still. You just feel that you can't go any further, you're stuck if you like. And maybe like Abraham, you're, you're stood still and you're just, you're just looking all around you. Now listen, I believe there's people going to be set free this morning. <coughs> Directly on the right path this morning. And if you're stood still and you're looking around you, all you can see is a people who carry a type of religious labels. I'm not talking about in the house, I'm talking about in general. All we see is this type of godliness. But where's the truth of it all? Where, where's this true worship that we read about and hear about? Maybe that's you this morning. All you can see is people who carry a religious label. You're struggling to see Christ in all. And maybe you're here this morning and you're searching for truth. There's so much falsehood and you're uncertain of your next move and you're just trying to find truth. For some, you're in a, the land around your life. It's, it's barren. And there's brokenness walking the streets. And the people in your life have become like your enemies. And, and this is not you feel the place where you should be. And you're questioning God, why are things the way they are? Why are they not different? And you're saying to yourself that you know you can't go back, but you feel you can't go forward either. I wonder if that you this morning, I was speaking to somebody this morning, you, you don't want to go back, but you feel like you don't want to go forward either. you're just in that place. And maybe like Abraham, you just see the task at hand and you just feel like it's too much. You stood still and Listen, I must say this, that God has called his people. Listen, God has called his people back to the altar. That's, that's where we receive guidance. That's where we receive glory and boldness in the faith. You want to be bold for God. Lose yourself. Die to yourself. Shred to the Lord. You can watch the boldness raise up within your spirit. And I want to say this in a loving way this morning. If I had heard one person talk about the weakness of church in this last five years, I've heard it a thousand it's all Christians say it. So what they're really saying is, I'm so weak, and so pale, and so pathetic, but I'm going to project that on all of you. Because that's what they're saying. I've seen many lives touched in these last few years. I've seen God do great things in my own heart, in my own, my own life, in all of people's lives. So the only thing that's is me, you. And the reason the church, if it is so weak at the end of the day, isn't because the task at hand is so big. The reason the church is weak today, if it is weak today in your mind, is because God's people no longer believe prayer is necessary in their home, in their own personal life. If you come to expect a minister or section or any church to, to be your portion, you to say, we come here to worship God together. Lift up the name of the Lord and to sit under the preaching of the word together, encourage each other not not to be some sort of drip feed into somebody who's pale and sick. We know this church, don't we? And I believe this Canaanite worship has brought us way and snuck us way in the back door of each of our lives. 
And you know something about prayer? It, it replaces brokenness with laughter. It turns the, the barrenness of our heart into an oasis. That's what prayer does. It causes streams of living water to flow up from our innermost being. That's what the Bible says it does. That's what I know it to do. So do you. And when the people of God pray and they build altars, you know what happens? God is seen in their life. God is heard in their conversation. And when a man or woman who wrestles in prayer, you know what happens? It doesn't matter what evil comes against them, they never stand still. Because they're within that place of promise. And Abraham didn't stand still, he stood still for a moment. But God at the right time turned up. But God knew what through, or Abraham knew what true worship was, church. And me and you need to learn it afresh today. True worship isn't Sunday morning for an hour, Sunday evening for an hour. It isn't even a midweek for an hour. True worship, to follow God, is your own personal relationship with Him and what that looks like. I once asked the old faithful man of God when I went into ministry, how do I get a routine of prayer and where do I build it into my life? He says, son, you need to work it out for yourself. I would say the same to you, there's no set time, you need to work it out for yourself. But building the altar is the important thing at the time. I want you to say something as we close up. Abraham was unable to go any further. He stood still at the oak where he built the altar. Look at verse 8. You read this word. From there, Abraham moved to the hill country. Abraham moved. That's the key word. He moved from the hill country. So once Abraham built an altar to the Lord, God took him out of the valley of despair and he placed him on the mountaintop. Glory to God, church. I was nearly shouting hallelujah at the white prince that mentioned that last Sunday. Hallelujah. He was stood still at the oak in that wee valley. He built an altar to the Lord. The Lord took him to the hilltop. And I believe there's a spiritual lesson in it, church. The hill country. That's the place we ought to be. It's not the place of the sunbed, but it's the place that we ought to be. It's the place where altars are to be built. So we're finished and the things want to come. One sentence for each of us today. Let's restore the art, because it is an art. Let's restore the art of building altars in our lives. Not in our churches, not in our small groups, in our lives. Is that word for anybody this morning? Is it only for me? We need to build altars of Christ onto the Lord. You know, when you spend time with God, what happens? Excitement. Isn't it? There's excitement. Welcome with God, may he take you from that valley of despair and put you on that hill.